God. This song indicates, words of the song say that, uh, Lord, you're all that I need, all I want. All my desire is wrapped up in you. And uh, this is what happens when a person makes a decision uh, to give their life to the Lord, to follow after him, to pursue him. It's that kind of focus and that kind of dedication and commitment. I know that over the course of time, things can get in the way. Uh, things can uh, capture our attention and um, our priorities can get out of line a little bit. I think it's, it's possible for all of us, for our priorities to get out of line and it impacts and affects our relationship with God. But today, the Lord is here, His presence is here, and His Word is going to remind us today of how important it is, amen, to focus on our connection with God and our relationship with the Lord. Because I don't know about you, but when I decided to follow Jesus, it wasn't a fling, it wasn't a one-night stand, it was a commitment through the ups, through the downs, through the good times, and through the bad times, because I love him with all of my heart. Anybody feel that way about the Lord Jesus Christ, that you love him? Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want you to look at them in Revelation chapter number 2. I want to read just a few verses here in uh, the last book of the Bible. It's all the way at the end. Revelation chapter number 2. We're going to start reading at verse number 1. And um, uh, a few weeks ago, I had an opportunity to speak at the Bridge uh, Cafe on a Thursday night. And um, while I was speaking, there's a theme that uh, we kind of went along with because it was um, Valentine season. But uh, it just put in my spirit, planted a seed in my spirit that, uh, that has been working me over personally. Uh, the last couple weeks, and I, I just want to share it with you today because I believe the Lord would want us to think about this and uh, to be impacted by the word today. In Revelation chapter 2, you see there, this is in the midst of uh, the prophetic words from Jesus through John the Revelator to the churches that are the New Testament church, several major significant churches in Asia Minor. And one of those church churches is the church in the city of Ephesus. And uh, it was started by the Apostle Paul, and he wrote the letter of Ephesians to this church. But I want you to notice, uh, toward the end of the writing of Scripture, John the Revelator, who was uh, the one that outlived all the other apostles, is writing to the church from Jesus. You notice in your Bible, if you have red letter edition, that Revelation chapter 2 is in red letters. It's the words of Jesus after his ascension through the prophet John. And it says, in verse 1, it says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, or the angel would be the overseer or the leader, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. So you notice the first part of Revelation chapter 2 is a listing of several commendations to the members of the church in Ephesus, both individually and corporately to the church. 
It says, you guys have stayed faithful, consistent. You haven't wavered on truth. You've worked hard. Uh, you've made note using discernment of those who are not of Christ, and you've labeled them and made sure that they can influence the body. Uh, you've been patient. You've labored. But then in the next verse, Jesus Christ to the church of Ephesus reminds them that there is a missing element. With all the things that they have right, there is a missing element. And it is here, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and I will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. I want you to notice here that, that Jesus is saying to this church and the individuals in this church in Ephesus that even though you're solid on doctrine, you're consistent, faithful, and you're laboring and you're not fainting, because you have lost that first love that you had for me, we have a problem. And unless you can go back, repent, notice where you've fallen from, repent, and then go back and do the first works again. And the first works are not labor and effort. The first works are about focusing on the relationship with Jesus, focusing on our love relationship with him. He said, unless you go back and do that, then I will remove thy candlestick out of his place except you repent. I want to tell you today that the passion and love in our relationship with God is not a, 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 an optional thing. It is significant. It is heart and soul to us being able to live for God and to make it all the way through. And so from time to time, we've got to hear the word. We've got to discern. We've got to look at our own lives and recognize if we have fallen so that we can get things right with him again in our relationship with God. And so for a few moments today, I want to just uh, unburden my heart to you uh, on this subject called the missing element. The title today is The Missing Element. Notice the church of Ephesus had so many things right, but when this was missing, it was so significant that Jesus said, I need to get your attention in this area. So why don't we just ask God to speak to us today? Can we ask God to speak to us today in this place? Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord Jesus, for your patience with us and your mercy and your love for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you're uh, passionate about your relationship with us, that you're a jealous God, that you're not willing that you would share your affection with another Lord God. But I pray, Lord Jesus, today that you would speak to us over the next few moments, that the Spirit of the Lord would come in here, Lord God, and that you would speak to each of our hearts because this is a great church, Lord, and this is a church that has destiny. This is a church that has a significant mission. But God, if we're going to do, both from pastor to leaders to members of the church, if we're going to accomplish the mission, we can't do it without this element. And I pray, Lord God, today that you would speak 
speak to us. Uh, speak to us in this place, Lord. Hallelujah. For just a moment, I want you just if you feel like I lift up your hands right now to the Lord. <clears throat> if you feel like doing that and just let him know how much that you love him and how much you appreciate his goodness to you and, and the way that he's blessed you and the way that he's been there with you through tough times and good times, through challenges and how he's been patient with you. He's never given up on you. Hallelujah. Lord, I love you for that, Jesus. I love you with all of my heart for that, Lord God. And I pray, Jesus, today, Lord, let that re uh, restoration of relationship and connection, Lord God, deep within our spirit to you happen in this place today. In the name of Jesus, hallelujah. Come on, just speak the highest praise. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you, and uh, you may be seated. The month of January and February are very significant to me because my wife's birthday is in January and Valentine's Day is in February. So if I mess up in January and February, my year is messed up. And uh, this year, 2018, uh, we started out the year with some challenges in our family, specifically sickness. Uh, and uh, as a result, with my wife, I was not able to take her out for either her birthday or Valentine's Day. And so the opportunity presented itself a couple weeks after Valentine's Day. Uh, my job asked me to run some leads in Newport Beach on Saturday. So on Friday afternoon, my wife and I went down to Newport Beach area and we went to eat at a restaurant called Golf Stream. And uh, while we were eating here at this restaurant, uh, it's a beautiful location, excellent food. Uh, but what really impressed us was the attitude of the staff that waited on us while we were there. Uh, the young lady who was waiting on us was noticeably excited that we were there. And when she was sharing with us the various options as we were trying to decide what we were going to order, she was very excited and enthused about the various options that she presented to us. And when we made our selection, we told her what, what we wanted to order. She was like excited that we ordered that because she said, you guys are in for a treat. And then uh, we, we had a, a, a great meal. And then afterwards, she wanted to know. She said, are you guys interested in uh, that Sunday, the one that the table right there has. Are you interested in that? Man, you're going to love it. Uh, it's just, she was excited for us. Like, I'm like, yeah, it's great. But she was excited for us that we were thinking about ordering. We decided not to. We got our bill. And then when the bill came, I changed my mind. And I, I said, you know what? We're going to get that Sunday after all. And she's like, yeah. And uh, we, we just had a wonderful time. And afterwards, as we were leaving, my wife and I were talking about what her attitude added to the experience. Because you've all been to restaurants before that might have equally good food, uh, a beautiful venue and location. Uh, but because there is no passion about what the person that is serving you is involved with, somehow something is missing. Because when passion goes missing, everything starts to slip. Uh, I had a dentist that I used in Pasadena. 
And it was funny because we had, uh, prior to working part-time for the job I worked part-time, I had terrible dental insurance that only would let me go to one or two places, right? You know what I'm talking about? Anybody can relate to that. So you, you got to go to the place with the uh, little flickering sign, like, and you're like, <laughs> and, uh, you know, the m- machines are short-circuiting while they're trying to drill your tooth, you know? And uh, so I went to this office. It was nice enough. I mean, it was, I, I'm making a joke. It was nice enough, d- decent presentation, but... What was interesting is you, is you went in there, and there was noticeably things that weren't up to par or considered or thought about. And, uh, and then, interestingly enough, the uh, dentist the whole time was yelling at his staff, like berating his staff. It was very awkward. And uh, um, so I was like, wow, there's something not right about this. But thank the Lord I got new insurance. And uh, I went to the dentist this last week, and uh, first time in two and a half years. And uh, the whole experience from beginning to end was completely different. The presentation of the place, the fact that the dentist took almost an hour on the first visit to sit and go through everything with me, and then to come up with a plan. And this man, who obviously it was his business, he ran the business, he owned it, uh, from the logo to the present, everything was excellent. And I realized, and I got to thinking about what is the difference because they both have dental degrees. They both have, uh, uh, you know, the machines, the chairs that go back. They both have all the tools and so forth. And, and I, 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 as I was thinking, about, I began to realize the missing element is passion. That the, obviously the other dentist didn't love what he was doing and he wasn't pouring himself into seeing the best that he could possibly see. So between these restaurants and these dental offices, what is the difference? In the restaurants both had food, drink, waiters, a nice building. Both dentist places had a chair and tools and degrees, etc. The missing element between them was passion. And today, I want to talk about this for just a moment today. Because when I look into the Bible, I look into the Old Testament. When you study and read the Old Testament, you see that there was much emphasis put on the law of God. All of the requirements and the ceremony of all the ritual and the routine. And there's a tremendous focus on obligation. And if you're not careful, you can see that at, during the time of Jesus, many people had become focused on the obligation and the routine of the law. But Jesus himself was asked about the law in Matthew 22 and verse 36. He was asked, which is the most important laws among the laws? And Jesus said uh, to him, Jesus said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So beside the fact that there's so many obligations and routines and rituals and obligations in the Old Testament, Jesus said when he was asked, what is the most important he said the most important commandment is this thou shalt love the lord thy god with all thy heart 
soul, and mind. And the second one's like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, on all of on these hang all of the law and the prophets. That's why uh, later the writer says, uh, if I have wisdom and knowledge and I do all the things that I'm supposed to do, but have not love, it is nothing. And Jesus was making very plain to his listeners that day that it's all about passion because if you don't love God and if you don't love people it doesn't matter how much you follow the ritual and the routine and the obligation of the law you missed the whole thing because it starts and ends with passion amen Jesus was saying in essence you could do everything else but if you don't have love then you've missed the whole thing Jesus was referring to the foundation of the Jewish law. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. These were some of the first words that were ever learned by a Hebrew child when they were first learning to speak. They would teach these little children to say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And it made it clear to them that the foundation of their relationship relationship with God. It all starts with loving God with all of your heart, with everything that you have inside of you. And everything else is secondary to this passionate relationship with God. So the foundation of our relationship with God is to be love. And when you look into the word of God, the most common biblical metaphor used to describe the relationship between God and Israel and the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church, the most common metaphor used to describe this relationship is a romantic love. Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians eleven two, it says, For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. When you look in the Old Testament, it describes the relationship between God and Israel. God being a faithful, merciful, gracious husband. Israel being a cheating spouse. You guys read the Old Testament. It's very clear there that, it, that uh, God showed love. God showed mercy. God selected. God chose. Uh, but Israel was continuously unfaithful to God. And then in the New Testament, Jesus Christ is referred to as the bridegroom. And the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. And there is probably no clear understanding of God God's passion for the church and the desire that he has regarding our feelings toward him than the idea of a romantic relationship. And I've wondered before, why, why is this the metaphor that's most commonly used? It is 
perhaps a little bit awkward when we think about uh, being the bride of Christ. That's common enough for a female to feel, but as a male, I'm a part as the church together as a bride of Christ, and my feelings toward the Lord have to burn with the intensity and fire and passion of the feelings of a bride for the bridegroom because his feelings toward me are as passionate and intense and focused as the passion of a man who has decided to commit himself eternally to one female. Why this metaphor? Because I believe in our world, the relationship that we are most passionate about pursuing is a romantic relationship. Amen? Uh, Pursuing love. There are countless books that have been written whose theme focuses on romantic love. Poetry, art, almost every song you listen to on the radio is about romantic love. You guys with me right now? Am I speaking truth in this house? Romantic love is a big thing that we as humans focus on. It's the deepest kind of love that we can comprehend. It's the love that we chose. It's the person we decided to commit ourselves to. But I want to share with you today that the relationship that Jesus desires with us, the relationship that God wants to have with his beloved is much deeper and richer even than a romantic love that a man would have for a woman. But it's the best he can use to help us grasp it and to understand it. In the passage that we read in Ephesians, it says this church and the individuals in this church, Jesus was pleased with their consistency and faithfulness and doctrinal purity, but he was unhappy with them because they had lost their first love. They were good as far as duty was concerned. He saw their works. Their lifestyle was good. He saw their labor. Their ministry was good. He recognized their discernment and doctrinal consistency. They were following the letter of Christianity. But he said, I have somewhat against you because somewhere along the way, these people who used to have a passionate relationship with Jesus Christ, it had fallen to more of a duty or an obligation. And over time, relationally, they had grown apart. They had become spiritually apathetic. And I believe for the most part, they didn't even realize it because they were still there. They were still faithful. They were still doing their obligation. They were still true to uh, uh, the doctrine, but they did not realize that something had slipped in their relationship and as individuals uh, and in the church. Church, they had fallen from their first love. I, I think about this, and I think about a romantic relationship, how with the passage of time, when someone marries a person, the, the, the romance and the passion is intense. But with the passage of time, and when we go through premarital counseling, we share with people that the routine of life the labor of life, conflict that happens in relationship. All of these things over time can begin to steal the passion in a love relationship. And what once was so exciting and passionate and fiery and deep and intense can lose 
its intensity with the passage of time and routine and obligation and conflict and issues. And I want to tell you today that the same thing can happen in our relationship with Jesus Christ as individuals and as a church. We can fall prey to being focused on duty and obligation and routine. We can be faithful to the house of the Lord. We can be faithful to our ministry obligation. We can remain faithful to the values of the truth of the word of God and still we can have this missing element of passion in our lives. And so the question today, this is what God has been pressing on me and I want to press it on to you as the leader of this church. The question today is are you in love with Jesus Christ? Are you in love with the person that you're here for today? Are you in love with this man who loved you enough to give his life for you? Or have you perhaps lost the passion for your relationship with him? You're still here because you know it's right. You still are here because of obligation and duty, but somehow you have lost the passion. We teach about, to married couples, about the love bank. The love bank is an emotional container. You can't see it. You can't measure it on any chart. We can't do a graph of your intestines and find out about your love bank, but emotionally, you have a love bank. And when you get married to an individual, typically your love bank is overflowing because every time you have a positive, exciting, uh, enjoyable experience with someone, there's a deposit made into your love bank. Have you ever noticed that there's some people you can't wait to see and some people you tend to avoid? You ever noticed that before? You know why that is? Is because the people that you tend to want to avoid are people that you've had unpleasant experiences with and your love bank's overdrawn, right? But when you fall in love with a person, there's something about that person when you spend time with them. You can't stop thinking about them, and you can't wait till the next time you get to be together. And every little moment together seems to be dreamy. What's happening? There are deposits one after another being deposited into the love bank. But what happens when a couple gets married is they become subject to the grind of the routine. There are opportunities when you're together 24-7 for conflict, and you will over time have some less than possible positive moments together. And every unpleasant moment together uh, represents a withdrawal from the love bank. So here's the key. This is some marriage teaching right along the way with this teaching that the word uh, uh, of God is giving to us in terms of our relationship with God. The teaching is this. After you get married, you have to be intentional about putting deposits in the love bank. Amen? Do I have some married folk that can say Amen? Are you guys in too much trouble right now? Like, we don't want to talk about that right now. You have to be intentional about the deposits because deposits happen naturally when you're pursuing one another. But when you got one another and you're living together and you got kids pooping their diapers and empty bank accounts, come on, somebody, all of a sudden you realize that withdrawals are happening naturally. And you have to be intentional about making deposits into the love bank. And uh, when you're dating, you can't wait to be together. Uh, You do things, everything you can to make that other person smile. You will invest in making that 
person smile. But after marriage, there's money issues, there's stress of work, there's kids. And I want to tell you today that passion leaks. Are you hearing me today? Passion leaks in the process of life. And so wise couples that stand the test of time are couples that learn to be intentional about making deposits, being intentional about pulling away from the routine of life and doing some things to make that person smile. Amen? Doing what you can to put a smile on the person's face. And I see a parallel here because oftentimes our relationship with God can start out so exciting. And when you think back about when you had initiated this relationship with God, the excitement of being in the house of the Lord and feeling the presence of God for the first time. Can some of you remember that? What it felt like when you felt the presence of the Lord for the first time and all of a sudden you sensed that Jesus Christ loved you, not you in a corporate sense, but you as an individual, that he went to a cross and he died for you and that he was willing to forgive you of everything that you had ever done and uh, that he loved you enough to select you and to choose you and to put his seal of ownership on you by filling you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And when you came through having that experience of the new birth, everything is new. Old things are passed away and there is this passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't believe he loved me that much. Somebody that nobody else loved. Somebody that was rejected by others. But he has chosen to love me and to choose me and to put his seal of eternal life upon me. Amen. And that zeal and that passion for the Lord is evident. You can't wait to be back at church. You remember those days? I remember people coming up to me, Pastor, why do we only have church two days out of the week? You know what I'm talking about? The fire is burning on the inside. I want to get together with the believers again on Tuesday and Thursday and Friday. Where can I go find some more church? I want to hear some more preaching. I want to be in the presence of the Lord. And They're sitting on the front row just kind of shaking and waiting to hear. And whenever there's a prayer meeting, they're right there in the midst of that fiery prayer meeting. And they, and they uh, are in their Bible every day. I, I was in Starbucks this morning looking over my notes. And sitting next to me was a young man, had his Bible open, reading the Bible. I could tell immediately he wasn't preparing for a sermon. He wasn't doing something out of obligation. But there was a heart that he had for the Word of God. And some of you can remember that passion and that fire that you had when you realized that the one who was greater than anybody else, you had searched all over, but you couldn't find anybody greater than him. And when you found the one that had all power, that loved you, that wanted to make your life beautiful. Hallelujah. You fell in love with Jesus fell in love with him. It was so exciting being filled with the Spirit. The Word of God was meaningful to your life. All of a sudden, this book you never even gave a care about, and all of a sudden you want to read it. You realize it's speaking to you. Amen? And fellowship with other believers becomes so precious and, and beautiful, and you can't wait to be together with the other believers, to be in the house of the Lord, to hear the Word of God, to give me an opportunity to serve. You mean you're going to let me serve? 
Me, you're going to let me be a part of this mission of Jesus Christ? Uh, Jesus said, I can be used in this. Uh, and all of this is a part uh, of our experience uh, in coming to fall in love with Jesus. How many believe that falling in love with Jesus is the best thing that ever happened in your life? But after a while, the routine, the stress, sometimes it's unmet expectations. People expect this and something different happens. People think, now that I'm in love and covenant with Jesus, he's going to make my life comfortable. But instead, you find out that he wants to work on your character. He wants you to be a better person. Not just so you can be a better person, but so that you can make a difference in the world. Not just so you can make a difference in the world, but the Bible teaches that you're going to be ruling and reigning with him for a thousand years in the millennial. So God's preparing you for that. How foolish would it be for us to become a part of the church and expect that we're already good enough to rule and reign with Jesus and we can't even get along with each other? You're listening to me right now. Sometimes friction happens, people get on our nerves, people hurt our feelings, and we take it out on God. The whole time God's trying to teach us how to grow up. You guys with me right now? The Bible says that there are people who've been in church for a long time, they're still babies. Then how do you know they're still babies? Because they can't get along with each other. There's, there's uh, envying between them, there's stress between them, they're still babies. And Jesus said, I called them, I anointed them, I put my spirit on them to carry the mission to the world, number two, but also to rule and reign with me for eternity. And so in order for that to happen, we got to grow up. And so sometimes our expectations of what it's going to mean to be a Christian are totally different because God has big plans for us. I'm sure my kids would love it if I'd let them stay at home in bed every day, Right? They'd probably like it if I, I let them eat whatever they wanted and drink whatever they wanted. But, but the plans that I believe God has for their lives and the plans that I have for their lives are a lot bigger than for me to allow that to happen. So when they get upset with me because their expectations for what I should be doing is messed up, please understand, amen, this can happen in our relationship with God and cause us to lose our passion for God. you got to understand that he's a good God. He loves you. He's interested in the best for your life even when you can't see evidence of that. If you believe that, shout amen right now. Somebody needs to get a witness of the word right now. The routine, the unmet expectations, the friction, and the hurts cause us to lose sight of why we started following Jesus in the first place. See, here's the problem. When you lose the passion, when you lose your focus on Jesus, then everything can begin to enter in and create problems and stress. The love that you had for the one who died for you and selected you and loved you when you were unlovable and forgave you and embraced you and gave you his righteousness, sealed you with his spirit and said, he is mine. The love that you had for this person begins to wane. And before long, you find yourself in a loveless relationship. Yeah, you're still faithful. You're still involved. You're still hardworking but before long, things begin to slip. 
when passion is gone, when you lose the why of why you decide to follow Jesus in the first place, and everything else begins to dominate your thoughts, things begin to slip. Things begin to fall off. Uh, Before long, your convictions begin to slip, and the things that you had convictions about, you start to let it go. Before long, prayer becomes a burden and an obligation and then a pastime. Before long, the Word of God becomes something that you used to love, but now you just endure. Before long, coming to Bible study used to be something that you were so excited about, not because the speaker was your favorite speaker, but because the Word of God was your favorite word, and you couldn't wait to be in the presence of God. But something happens, and you begin to drift, and you begin to slip, and you begin to lose momentum, and we, we don't see you in prayer meeting anymore, and we don't see you at Bible study anymore, and, and your faithfulness even to the house of the Lord on Sunday begins to slip. See, here's the deal. The problem is, is there's missing passion because if passion is in place, then the fire is there. Amen. And when you find that your passion has leaked, your appetite for passion begins to look elsewhere. Because you can be faithful to church, but if you're not passionate about Jesus, you're going to become passionate about something else. Worldly pleasures, interests, relationships, hobbies that begin to pull your attention away from God. This is how people backslide, my brothers and sisters. You guys with me right here? There's always the issue. But I want to tell you today that the issue is never really the issue. When people lose out with God, they may point to this or that. I disagreed with this. My feelings were hurt here. This happened. That happened. All of those issues that are pointed to are the issues behind why a person backslides, but that's not the real issue. The real issue is they lose their passion for Jesus Christ. Because when you have a passion for Jesus Christ, your eyes are on him. When you lose your passion for Jesus, your eyes get on everybody else. Come on right now, listen to me. Because the Lord is calling us to get our eyes back on him. To fall in love with Jesus. And I feel the Holy Ghost prompting me and pushing right now. Because there is a fire, hallelujah, that's going to burn in the church in the last days. In the evening time, there shall be light. And what God's going to do through this church in this region during this season is going to happen because of people, not that are more gifted than other people or more talented or have more capabilities or more knowledge or more background, but it's a group of people who love Jesus and his word so much that it dominates their thoughts. They wake up in the morning and they can't wait to spend a few moments in the presence of Jesus. I want to remind you today how good God is and how much he has blessed you, how much he has loved you when other people were inconsistent and unfaithful. Jesus has loved you. I want to remind you today that there is nobody like Jesus. You can search high and low. You can search far and wide, but there is nobody like Jesus. And when and you lose that passion for the one that loved you and saved you everything else you've got to get your eyes back on Jesus 
Missing passion is not a small problem. It's not an insignificant issue. But it's a big deal. Nudge your neighbor and say, it's a big deal. Having passion and renewing passion. I just want to mention a couple things before we wrap this up today. Pretty good, aren't we? A couple things. First of all, renewing or restoring passion requires a breakup. It requires a breakup. See, when I listen to preaching nowadays, I'm not talking about at Life Church, but I'm talking about across ecumenical Christianity. I feel like we're being presented with a Christ that's okay with an open relationship. What's an open relationship? You guys know what an open relationship is? Me, people say, me and my wife have an open relationship. That means she can have a partner if she wants to besides me, and I can have a partner besides her if I want to. I hate to say it, but it feels like a lot of the preaching nowadays presents a Jesus Christ that is okay with an open relationship. See, when I grew up in in the church and what I've heard when I was a young Christian is things like this. When you came into the church, you had to step away from what you used to be. The preaching and the singing used to feature the idea of breaking up. The world behind me, the cross before me. I've decided to follow Jesus. Uh, I've made a decision to break with the world, to break with my old values, to break with my old way of thinking, to break with what I used to allow, what my priorities were. Everything has changed. And When you listen to preaching today, unfortunately, you get a a version of Christianity that's kind of like, hey, you can just kind of keep doing what you were doing, keep the same values and priorities that you had, but just take Jesus along on the side. But when I read the word of God, that's not the way that Jesus is going to be cool with riding and rolling with you because he is a jealous God. That means he's passionate about his relationship with you. He will not allow you to have a side dish. He's got to be the one and only. And if you want to restore passion and renew passion with Jesus Christ, you got to stop and cut off your relationship with this world and the appetites and the desires of this world because it will get a hold of you. I want to tell you right now, it's not just something 20 or 30 years ago, but today, if you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to make a determination to put the world behind you and say, goodbye, world. Uh, Goodbye, amen. The world has no longer got a hold on me. It's no longer got a pull on me. It is Jesus Christ, and I'm focused on what it is that he is pointing me towards. I remember waking up in the morning and hearing Billy Graham preach over the radio when I was growing up. He preached conviction. He preached turning away from sin. He preached about following Jesus. You don't hear that much anymore. I'm sorry, you just do not hear that much anymore. It's all about, okay, let's make you a better husband. Let's see what we can do to make you a better wife or a better citizen or improve you in these certain ways using biblical principles. But what about the idea that when you decide to follow Jesus, Jesus said it this way, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple." 
feels. Somebody said, well, why would Jesus use the word hate to describe how we would feel about our brothers and sisters and our parents and our own life? It wasn't that he was telling us to hate anybody. That would go against the principles of the word of God. But what he was saying is that your passion for me should so outshine your passion for anybody or anything else that in comparison it seems like hatred. Oh, God, help us, Lord. Jesus, I love you. Come on. God's trying to put it in our spirit. He's trying to sow it into you because what God has for you has got to have this element of passion. Come on, somebody. Do you love Jesus with all your heart? Do you love him with all your mind? Do you love him with all your strength? This is the first commandment. Praise God. Hallelujah. I use the example of a young lady who has a boyfriend. This boyfriend's exciting and mysterious, but he's a bad boy, party animal, gangbanger. He's just a bad dude, unpredictable, undependable, unfaithful, abusive, inconsistency, a stalker. And he is taking this woman's life in a dangerous and a destructive direction. And all of her good friends say, girl, he's bad for you. Come on. Mm -mm. I know he may be handsome. I know there may be that appeal there, that bad boy stuff, but he's not the one for you. And then somebody comes into her life and catches her attention. But this guy's a good guy. He's responsible. He's successful. He's attentive. He's affectionate. And she turns to her friends and said, I think I'm falling for this guy. And I'm excited about the new direction of my life. The old direction was destructive. The old direction was taking me in a bad way. But I'm excited about the new direction of my life. And what's the wise friend going to say? The wise friend's going to say, he's the one for you. He's the one for you. He really loves you. I can tell. But make no mistake, girl, he's not going to put up with you remaining connected to your ex. you got to break it off. The good guy's not going to be okay with you staying connected to your ex. And I want to tell you, the Bible teaches us that we are not to love the world, neither the things that are in the world. What is it that is you got to break up with when you decide to follow Jesus? It is the world, its values, its system, its priorities. And I watch people flirt with the world and flirt with Jesus at the same time. They flirt with the world and they flirt with Jesus at the same time. Jesus keeps trying to woo them. The Lord keeps going after them. The Lord keeps pursuing them. But make no mistake, girl, he's not going to put up with you being committed to him and committed to the ex at the same time. Because if you want passion back in your life, you've got to break it off and say, the world behind me, the cross before me, I'm not turning back. I've made up my, come on someone, I've made up my mind that my passion is restored to Jesus Christ. Somebody shout amen. Ephesians 2 says, you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. In times past, you walked according to the course of this world. This is your ex. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit now worketh in the children of disobedient, among whom we all had our conversation, our lifestyle in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. That's all of us. All of us. But what happened? But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he... It's all about love. Amen. 
This is amazing to me that when I was messed up, when I was broken, when I was far from God, he loved me. This is God's grace and mercy. He commended his love toward us. Some of you think that God doesn't love you anywhere anymore because you messed up. You got to remember that God loved you when you were a big mess. Amen. He loved you when you were far from him and just doing your own thing. He showed how much that he loved you. This is how much Jesus loves us. And with his great love, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This world system with its values, priorities, and pursuits, when you fall in love with Jesus, you've got to break up. Amen? 2 Corinthians 6.17 says, Come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Somewhere along the way, you've got to reject the values of this world and accept and embrace the values of Jesus. You guys listening to me right now. Because with your ex, there's a certain way he liked you to act, certain way he liked you to, uh, to, to uh, look, and a certain way he liked you to conduct yourself. But you've fallen in love with a completely different type of individual when you fell in love with Jesus and you follow him. So restoring passion requires a breakup, and finally, restoring passion requires pursuit. Uh, Luke chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus said, Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Mm. Praise God. When, when you are pursuing passion with Jesus, it requires pursuit. You've got to go after him. Jesus said, I'm not going to come by and beg you to be my disciple. You've got to come after me. You've got to come after me. And God's calling us. I'm, I'm telling you right now, during this season, God's calling us to prayer. God's calling people to uh, consistent reading in your Bible. God's calling people to invest in spending time sowing the gospel into other people. It's happening. It's happening right now. And just like when Jesus went by, those that were going to be his disciples said, I'm going after him. And whether you've been in church five minutes or five years or 50 years, uh, when the spirit gets moving, you're like, I'm, I'm in, man. I want to be a part of this. I want to jump in and pursue what God is doing. Because when you uh, have passion, you pursue that person. Now, when my wife and I uh, fell in love with each other, Actually, I fell in love before she did. I had to go after her for a while. As I think she, uh, either she wasn't sure about me at first or she knew this thing that all girls should know is that when you throw yourself at a guy, the mystery's gone. But when you are a little bit like kind of out of reach, boy, it gets your attention. But uh, I remember she and I went out with a group and I liked her. And I sent her a letter in the mail. And uh, yeah, not an email. <laughs> not a phone call. A letter. And, uh, but before I sent it, I read it about 15 times, 20 times, and then I sent it. And then, see, some of you young guys can't even relate to this. But, But I remember walking by that mailbox every day 
You know what I'm talking about? And then about seven days later, eight days later, and there was rich something for Rich Brown, handwritten for Rich Brown. I knew it wasn't a bill. And, uh, <laughs> and I took it out, opened it up, and it was the first communication from this girl that I liked that would become my wife. And I read over the letter, and uh, you know, we had exchanged phone numbers through the, through the letters. And I promise you, man, I read that letter over and over and over again until the ears of it were wrinkled up on the sides. And, and then uh, since we were eight hours apart, we would talk to each other on the phone like into the night and we, we were adults now we weren't kids we were I had a job I was 26 years old uh, she had a job she was younger than me I won't tell you her age but we communicated into the night and um, sometimes there was not, not much being said they're just on the other line there you still you still awake <laughs> yeah you still there yeah it was because there was that passion to pursue, and I would do anything I could to try to get her attention to please her. I found out not long after I was dating her that she didn't like my shoes. <laughs> she looked at him, and she didn't say it to me, but in her mind, she's like, he's a nice guy, but those shoes have got to go. And uh, I was uh, very stingy with my money and frugal, but we went by DSW, and she picked out a couple pair of shoes that she liked, and I bought both of them, two pair of shoes at the same time because I was willing to do whatever, to go to whatever lengths necessary to do whatever it took to get her attention. And I want to tell you that when you fall in love with Jesus, he wants you to come after him. He wants you to pursue him, to learn about him. Amen, to, to go after him. And that's what the Lord is calling us for during this season, during this time, is to restore the passion. Because when we get that passion back for him, it's not about a church, it's not about a denomination, it's not about a pastor, it's not about a particular, it's about our relationship with Jesus Christ. And once that gets right, everything else begins to line up. But when that gets off base, everything gets out of line. And so today what Jesus is calling us is to fall in love with him all over again. And when you fall in love with Jesus, you can't stop talking about him. You can't stop talking about him. You can't stop talking about him. I had an opportunity this week to talk to somebody, two different people. It wasn't a theological conversation. It wasn't a Bible conversation. It was just, hey, you're a Christian, right? Man, I was just thinking about how good God's been to me. And I'm thinking about my life. And I just get overwhelmed when I think about how the Lord has blessed me, how he's kind of walked with me through some valleys and some tough times. And then I come through on the other side and I realize just how much he loves me. Because when you fall back in love with Jesus, uh, you'll be talking about him. You'll be telling people about him. You'll be discussing him because he loves you and you love him and your relationship is paramount. And today, here's what God wants to do. God wants to restore. Amen. His passion for you is burning bright, uh, but he wants you 
praise God, to remember where you've fallen from, to repent and to return and do the first works. You know what I teach people when they're having marriage problems? When people are having marriage, Brother Ulysses wants to know. <laughs> like, talk to me. When people are having marriage problems, they're like, oh, this person hasn't done this for me in so long, and I just don't feel the affection coming from them, and uh, I just don't know if I can go on. The problem is, is you're selfish. Because what would happen is if you take the initiative to take the first steps and do the things that you did to get them to fall in love with you in the first place, this is about returning to the first works. Do the things that you did to get them to fall in love with you when you were pursuing them and they were pursuing. Return to that first and then what will happen? What will happen is you'll begin to feel different. See, one, some people want to feel different and then they'll start doing the works. See, that, that's what somebody's like, well, Lord, if you touch me like you did in 1974, I promise you, boy, I'll be right back there. Lord, all I need you to do is, well, if they'll sing that song they sang back in 1974, then I think I'll feel it again. But they hadn't sung that song in years. But if they'll sing that song again and I'll feel that feeling again, I'll be right back in there, God. I'm just waiting on it. But you know what the Lord says? If you'll do what you did, amen, to get in love with me, to fall in love with me, then all of those things are going to be restored. The fire is going to be restored. So some of you, listen to me right now. Whether you feel like it or not, you need to get out your Bible and wipe the dust off of it. Wipe the dust off of it. Do it tomorrow. Open it up. Not because you're required to read the Bible, but because you want to fall in love with Jesus all over again. Begin to read the Word of God. Take that time. Get up out of bed. Walk the neighborhood if you have to. Get in the closet if you have to. Go sit in your car if you have to. But find a few moments to just talk to Jesus. If you talk to Him, something will start sparking again. If you just spend a few minutes telling Him how much you love Him, how great He is, and how thankful you are for what he's done for you. Something will start sparking. Oh, you want the evangelist to come through and light the fire for you. You want somebody to come and say the right thing to light the fire for you. That's not how it works. Jesus said, repent and return and do the first works and I will restore. I won't take away. Come on, somebody. It's, this is not just something to take lightly. But he said, I want your first love back. I want the first works back. I want the first passion back. Can we stand together right now? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. You know what worship is? Worship is expressing love to Him. True worship, whether it's in a song, whether it's when you just stop for a minute and begin to tell Him how much you love Him, how thankful you are, or how good he's been to you. Worship 
is expressing love to God. That's why it feels good when you worship God. You know why? Because when you express love to him, when you worship him, he's going to love you back. Praise God. But if you've been distant, no, you've still been here. You've still been in place. You've still been faithful. You've still been consistent. You've still been in the doctrine of truth. But that first love has been lost. And when the Lord comes to spend some time with you, oh, you're too busy. You shake away. And, or your feelings were hurt because of this. Or, God, you didn't answer this prayer the way that I, I wanted you to. And you pull away. And I want to tell you, the Lord is a gentleman. He will not force his affection on you. But he's wooing you. That's why he sent me here today. That's why this word is here today. The Lord's reaching for you. The Lord's reaching for you. So the way that we respond to it is in spite of everything. In spite of everything. I just got to remind you, God's good. You may be going through a stormy season right now, but God's going to bring something good out of it. If you'll be patient. Do I have a witness in the house that God is good? Do I have some gray-haired gray elders that can say, you know what, Pastor, you're right. I've been through some valleys. I've been through some storms. I've been through some seasons that I was upset with God, upset with people. But you know what? God's a good God if you just stay faithful and consistent to him. And he loves you. Amen. And he just wants you to love him back. And so for a moment right now before we leave, obviously we can respond to this word throughout the week. But I think right now, he loves you. And he wants you to come back at him. He wants you to pursue him. So before we leave, as they begin to lead us in, in a, a song of praise, I want us in just a moment to fill up this front. Fill up this front area. And we're going to just worship God together for a moment. From our hearts. It may not be as expressive or as exuberant or bouncy as last week. But it's going to come from our heart. Jesus. Mm. Hallelujah. Come on, that's it. Filtering up to the front here. Mm. Hallelujah, Jesus. Sometimes we focus so much on things that make up a church service, the songs, the music, the teams, and, and the routine, and the obligation, and the labor of Christianity. And we say, well, this is, this is my worship. That's what we're doing. It's part of the kingdom of God. It's part of our mission. But the heart of worship is all about you and him. It's all about you and him. When the music fades, when everything is gone, 
It's all about you and him. The heart of worship is, Jesus, I love you. <laughs> Lord God, I love you right now. And I wonder if from the depths of your heart, don't worry about who's around you. Don't worry about any of that junk. Don't worry about what they're going to sing or whether they're going to sing or what's going to happen next. But right now from your heart, just begin to love him. Jesus, it's all about you. Just take a moment right now and have a God moment. Have a moment with him where you just lift up your voice and begin to tell him how great he is and how much you love him. In Jesus' name. Because I've been so faithful, not because I've been so good. 